And we're back, ladies first. I'm Corey. Elizabeth's back with me. Hello. And um, Shira happens. I, I feel like we need to put a dead dub don't eat disclaimer up here. If you're yeah, a, if you're a fan of Catra or the Catra Dora pairing, like you really shouldn't listen to this episode. Like, you are welcome to listen to it if you would like to hear the perspective of why this is an abusive relationship. However, just be knowing that I am not here to have an argument. Um, maybe a conversation, but definitely not an argument. And if you're looking for a fight, um, I am not the person to come to because I'm not interested in that. This is just my perspective on the show and Corey's. And Corey doesn't have other social media for you to track down. So, again, dead dove don't eat. We're talking about the issues we have with Catra and the Catradora ship. So, I mean, we've warned you. We've warned you. This is the third time I'm saying dead dove don't eat. So, you know. And, you, like, you if you're still... Chance. If you're still here because you know that this is going to piss you off, can I just say, like, think about how you spend your time within fandom and evaluate whether listening to things that you know you won't agree with on purpose to make yourself angry, if that's, like, the best use of your time. Because I would much rather have you go on Twitter and go celebrate with the rest of the Catradora fans and enjoy your fan art and enjoy your content than come over and complain to me about why I'm wrong, okay? Go inject your life with joy instead of hate listening to our podcast. We still appreciate you listening to the first couple of minutes. Yes. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Like, don't make your life harder than it needs to be. The only thing I want to get mad at this summer is Dark Souls. I don't know what that is, but I'll I love, yeah, I was going to say, this is going to fly over Corey's head. Anyway, yeah. okay, so, <laughs> She-Ra. She-Ra season five happened. Yeah, um, a lot of people were happy. We obviously were not. Horrified? Yeah, horrified. Um, it was so. Kind of, I'll, I'll let Elizabeth take the lead on this. Okay, so, the day it released had to write my final essay for English and I was like I shouldn't watch it before I write the essay because then I'll be tempted to procrastinate even more on the essay so I wrote the essay first and then watched it and I'm glad that I did because that gave a whole bunch of other people a chance to watch it and so I saw the spoilers on Twitter and the first Twitter or the first spoiler I saw on Twitter was of course Catcher Dora and I was like what how did we get from the end of season four to this and, you know, I talked it over with a couple of people, even, like, my girlfriend was like, did you see the spoilers? And I was like, holy shit, yeah, did you see the spoilers? And, like, we did watch it, and, yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> so, also, I guess... guest host, the ice cream truck is back. Welcome to yes. LA. Yes, it's the curse of the ice cream truck. <laughs> so, I got spoiled by Dan. Like, I literally woke up. And the spoilers were there, and like my little Facebook messenger, courtesy of Dan, and I'm just like, uh, <laughs> that's how I want to wake up. He actually messaged me and was like, "Do you want me to tell you?" And it's like, "It's okay, I already heard." Oh, you got? Do you want to know? Like he just like straight up dropped it in my <laughs> in our little messenger chat, but I was like, you I know, think he did that to me once, and he got an earful. So, oh, like I'm not overly. <laughs> peeved about knowing spoilers so I'm, I wasn't like that mad I was just like really this is what I have to wake up to well I was, I was mad like... I was mad about what the spoiler was 
Like, mm. usually I like spoilers. Yeah, I don't normally care. Because um, I want to know. If I don't like it, I want to know. I've told you the story about why I will never not check for spoilers again, right? Um, Is it Buffy? No. Okay, so uh, a couple years ago... I was back in Oklahoma for the summer, and my mom's mother had passed away the night before, and my dad and I were trying to take her to a distraction, <gasps> and Mama Mia 2 had come out, and I was like, oh, the oh, first no. one was great. I don't need to look anything up for this. Folks, Shit. if you have seen Mama Mia 2, it's all about dead mothers. <laughs> we took my mom the day after she uh. died the evening before to see Mama Mia 2. So let me tell you how well that went over. Oh, my God. So, Corey will never not look up spoilers for a movie again, because that's a mistake you do not forget. I don't have a story that's anywhere near that cool. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, I feel like after what happened with The Hundred, um, I never wanted to go into anything blind ever again. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's hard to take your mom, who just lost her mom, to a movie about dead moms. Within a 24-hour period of her losing her mom. I mean, that's a pretty hard thing to top, but... <laughs> it is um, a delightfully, darkly funny anecdote, though. Yes. So, anyways, I was I, I was glad I knew what I was getting into before I watched it. Because I didn't watch it till Sunday after Elizabeth. Because Elizabeth watched it on Saturday. And she's like, you gotta tell me after you watch it. <laughs> so, I knew what I was getting into. And I wasn't, you know, blindsided. Which... I'm happy about because there there are parts of season five that are actually quite disturbing for me. So I'm glad I was able to kind of like mentally prepare myself that, you know, I knew some of the stuff was going to come and, you know, I'm ready for it. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I just dive into like what the big issues are. Um, I am a survivor of, you know, partner-on-partner abuse within the LGBT community. And watching season five and everything that Katra had done, being swept under the table with Adora just kind of rationalizing it and being like, oh, I love you back and we're going to be so super happy. I was just like, they really just threw the abuser's victim right back at her and made her smile and say thank you for it. Yeah, and... The interesting thing about this and the way that the people on the showrunner side of this talk about it is I don't feel like anybody involved thought about how this looks from this perspective, which is really surprising to me because, like, this is a very obvious example. Mm -hmm. And especially in... Like, honestly, I'm glad I didn't go into it blind, because the way, what seems to happen, like, halfway through the season, is Adora starts to rationalize all the shit that Catra did to her over, you know, the past four seasons, including almost destroying the universe, you know, like, not just Adora, the entire universe, because it would also destroy Adora, like, that was on top of the the whole war thing, which is an entire other debacle was it season three or season four like very clearly lays out that adora is traumatized by the shit catra's pulled oh i just that's haram it's ramadan i shouldn't swear but she is traumatized by the crap that catra's pulled Mm -hmm. like she has flashbacks there's the otherwise lighthearted D &D episode in which she explains that 
Catra is a trigger for her, and therefore she cannot be necessarily on the front line of this part of the war because she is incapable of making objective decisions because Catra can get under her skin so easily, which is, you know, true. And it's really terrible that, like, two seasons later, we have Adora, like, rationalizing Adora's abuse and then rationalizing the abuse to Glimmer and then Glimmer being like, okay... Like, that's the, the the hardest part about watching this, was that in order for this to work, everybody has to sort of, all of the other characters have to operate sort of under the assumption that this is the end of the world, we have to work together, if we don't, we're all gonna die. Even though that's not necessarily true, but like, okay, like, balls to the wall, the friend group are paladins, they prefer to work together if they can, it is a moral code part of their little moral crusade, that's fine. But... In order to do this, it requires a lot of characters who have been extremely critical of Adora's relationship with Catra and also, like, were part of Adora's initial healing process of getting away from Catra and being valued for things other than what you can do for other people. I would like to remind you that the reason that Catra gave for when she comes to get Adora in the first season, the very first episode, or the second episode. I can't remember if it was a two-parter. Anyway, that first arc, when Adora first doubles down on going to the Rebellion. When Catra comes to get her, she doesn't say, I'm here for you. She says, if I don't bring you back, Shadow Weaver's gonna kill me. And, like, fine, you could argue that she's not vocalizing her internal emotions, but what I argue is, they just weren't seated. The internal emotions weren't there. If you saw them in Catra's actions, that's kind of alarming to me. Well, um, my thing is Glimmer has to put all of this aside. And again, Glimmer spends quite a bit of time apologizing to Bo. Rightfully so. Yeah, but... Glimmer Glimmer needs to eat crow because Glimmer made a big old boo-boo last season. But you know what? She apologized and she the second that it became apparent that she was wrong, she went, oh, fuck, I gotta eat crow. And she did. And Yeah, for half a season. I can see how she just stumbled down a path of bad decision after bad decision. But she has to essentially, like, hand wave and accept Catra into their little super friends group. And Catra is indirectly responsible for her mother's death. And even beyond that, they're opposing generals in a war. I mean... Glimmer has sent people to their deaths to fight Catra's horde army. Like, this was a All plot. the princesses have. Just because it doesn't happen on screen doesn't mean it didn't happen. It's sort of like Avatar. There are world-ending events that are happening around sort of the smaller story of the characters, which you can't lose sight of when you talk about the larger morality of the series. Avatar and Korra, I should say. I really meant right. Korra, but it's actually both of them. But the point is, you have to take things in the context of their larger narratives. You cannot just take a ship dynamic and be like this works because I enjoy how these personalities bounce off each other and it's like that's great except you already wrote the rest of this story and that yeah, contradicts what and you're you trying to do one here of these people as a fascist not just say oh I was born and raised and didn't know any better it was after I knew better I decided to be a fascist ladder corporate ladder climber Actually, that was sort of in, in the first season when Adora is like did you know we're working for the Nazis <laughs> which I mean charming oh adora um and then catra is like duh we work for a fascist army were you not aware of this and catra is just like okay with it 
Like, that was her attitude at first. I mean, she was sort of a slacker because she didn't want to, she wanted to pretend like she didn't care about anything. But then, like, the moment that she could start getting validation from caring about something, what did she care about? Climbing the ranks of the Horde. She ended up in charge of it. And again, all of the princesses are generals, and they have lost people against Catra. And we're just, it's like, we're missed at the very end of the series when she sees, like, Entrapta and Hordak walking together. She's just like, are we suddenly okay with this now? I'm yeah, like, are we okay with like this that. now? That is such a mood for me through the entire season. <laughs> like, I'm glad that they didn't really entirely redeem Hordak, but gave him, like, one little moment. I liked wrong Hordak. Actually, that's really the other thing that really irks me about this season. There was a lot of it that I did actually like. And if all the stuff with Catra was leading up to some revelation of this relationship, though old, and though you felt the need to save her life, is toxic, and therefore you should be with the person who the show actually seeded as your romance interest, Glimmer, which is also a queer romance. Like... It's frustrating to, and then like uh, the whole stuff with with Wrong Hordak, where he gets disconnected from the hive mind, and then he starts like a socialist revolution. That's all great. I love that, but it's all bookended by this forgiveness of Katra that just like warps everything around it. It makes it impossible to enjoy anything else because in order to enjoy anything else they've set up, it requires you to accept the premise that Katra is a good guy and that we're okay with this. And also, that Catra's reward for switching sides at the absolute last possible moment is a girlfriend. And that's yeah. some horseshit. I mean, if you if you replace Catra with a man, same exact character beats, I guarantee you there would be a lot of gnashing of teeth of, well, not from a certain party. A certain party would eat it right up. But there would be a lot of gnashing of teeth of, like, this is toxic and not healthy. You know what certain party I'm talking about, but I don't need to bring that on my head, too. But, you know, that's the thing, is that the queer content often elicits blind spots for this sort of thing. Although, like, this is a frustrating example, because when you when you look at, like, the other ships it's compared to, so the, so, of course, Korosami, which is the one that got the ball rolling, and then there's Bubbling, and... Uh, Ruby and Sapphire, obviously as Garnet, but also like that they depict them as two separate female char- female coded mm-hmm. characters who kiss, uh, and then Catra and Adora, and like one of these things does not belong with the others. Like you look at Korasami, which was a long relationship across four seasons of a show where they were kind of it's enemies and then friends, and, and sorry, and it's still ongoing in the comic series. Yes, ongoing in the comic series, but, like, just to the show, like, everything is lined up there. It's this very, like, kind of cute little pure relationship, because it's, you know, it was, like, what, 2012? It's a long time ago now. 2014, I think. 2014? Oh, my God, that was not nearly long enough ago. (laughs) And then you have, like... Actually, okay, so small aside, something that I find funny is that Rebecca Sugar was responsible for a lot of the, like, best parts of Adventure Time, and then went on to make Steven Universe and ended up also being part of, like, the queer revolution via Steven Universe. Rebecca Sugar is responsible for, like, two of the biggest queer moments of recent history. She she didn't actually do the bubbling thing, but, like, set up the, the dominoes that eventually became that. But when you look at those, like, especially, like, Ruby and Sapphire, especially, are, like, conservative isn't the right word for it, but they're, like, 
this very fairy tale, uh, literally opposed elements, lifelong monogamous couple. Like, about as, and, as unproblematic as you could possibly get. And Rebecca Sugar had to put everything on the line to get that to happen. And it's really interesting to me. And then even, like, Bubbling gets, like, one kiss in a show that ran for literally ten years. And then you have something like Catradora, where this feels like... Something I would expect to see in five years when we've had, like, 20 different examples of, like, slowly, progressively more problematic queer representation or, like, more varied queer representation. It's just sort of, like, seems like the sharp turn towards, like, something I just can't imagine why this got approved. Like, I can't, I can't believe that nobody at DreamWorks watched this and went, uh, excuse me, does this seem like... Maybe not appropriate for the target age group that we're trying to hit with this show, because it is rated TVY7, and that is their actual target audience, believe it or not. And to be clear, we're not saying that the LGBT the LGBTQ content is inappropriate. That is not what we're saying. No, what we're saying is inappropriate is that Adora and Catra's relationship is abusive, and Adora rationalizes it, and Catra is never actually punished for any of her abusive behavior, and in fact is physically abusive to Adora literally right up into the second-to-last episode of the season. One of the last things that happens before their, like, big romantic interlude is they get in another freaking fistfight! And, like, some of this is sort of one of the weirder blurrings of what Catra is. That she is sort of like, oh, ha, she's a cat person. You know, like, she purrs when she's happy and she has the ears. And when she's upset at Adora, she swipes at her like a cat. But, like, Catra isn't a tiny little sapient, yet still, you know, not as smart as human creature who is, you know, capable of reason, but maybe not, like, logic like human beings. But Catra is, like, a human being. She's not a cat. It's not like an innocent kitten defending itself against a threat. It's like a person who was old enough to have to understand that you really shouldn't like lash out at your friends. Mm-hmm. And like this is like the Harry Potter problem, which is where you have a premise that is not really written with the idea that it's going to be made more serious later. Like, the sort of blurrings of what Catra is, I feel like they didn't really think that through. Especially with, like, that flashback episode. I'm not really sure what that flashback was was supposed to make me feel about Catra. What it made me feel was a lot more sympathy for Adora, because I'm like, holy crap, she's been, like, trying to isolate you from other kids. Like, and that's terrible, because, sh- you know, Shadow Weaver also does that, and Shadow Weaver does that to Catra, and what, you know, like, oh, what a great example of the cycle of abuse, and the ways in which children will, will reenact the abuse that is p- imparted upon them. But, like, that's not where they were going with that. What you were supposed to take from this is, oh, isn't it cute that Adora lets Catra treat her like this and still loves her? And that's the other thing. It's like, you want to talk about an actual redemption arc with Shadow Weaver. I'm not saying he was perfect, but there's an actual redemption arc there. Shadow Weaver, okay. Shadow Weaver was evil to the end. And honestly, like, one of my favorite villains because of that But, she did do the Darth Vader Redemption Act in the very end. I'm like, 
Sh- Shadow Weaver had more of like a redemptive blah blah that she sacrificed something for than Catra did. Catra gets rewarded with a girlfriend and her favorite punching bag. I mean, Shadow Weaver did sort of like still try to screw over the heroes at every turn because you know shadow weaver's main priority is power and shadow weaver and the marriage of these two things and so she will do whatever it takes to get power but like i don't know i kind of respect a villain who has an agenda that clear but even then like the show doesn't really mince words in making you understand that shadow weaver is bad that what shadow weaver did to catra and adora is unforgivable but then it doesn't critique catra at all Mm-hmm. and that's what is just so confusing to me because I watch it and I'm like at every single turn when Adora extends a hand to her Catra just kind of slaps it away or it's you know she's violent she's up in her space when she's not wanted to be up in her space I still remember that first season with the princess ball when Catra crashed and was like way up in Adora's personal space and Adora is obviously very uncomfortable with it and she can't do anything about it because if she breaks the rules of the ball, she gets thrown out, which is inevitably what happens. Yeah. Which is what Catra was there to do, to get under her skin. And I'm like, this is like very uncomfortable to watch. It's like watching Sexual Harassment 101, where the person can't do anything about it and then is punished for it. Well, you know, there's that joke that it's only sexual harassment if it's unwanted attention, but, like, this is, you know, a very clear demonstration of unwanted attention. When you look at the way the frames are animated, Adora is frowning and upset and clearly distraught by what's going on. This is not, like, playful banter between two spies on the dance floor. This is, what the fuck are you doing at my prom? Get the fuck out. Right. I'm like, but this has been seeded throughout the first four seasons of just like, and this is what is so baffling to me, of I thought it was very clear that she was seeding that Catra is a very toxic person, especially for Adora, and Catra can't get out of her own damn way. Yeah. And then in season five, it's suddenly, oh, Catra has to do the bare minimum and gets rewarded with a girlfriend and faces no repercussions for anything she's done. So... Here's the thing. I know that they would never kill off Catra because Catra is the self-insert character for the creator, and that is not speculation by me. She has said this in many, many, many interviews. So that's, like, really, I promise it's not me just being a dick. But if I wrote it, I would have had Catra die about halfway through the season saving Glimmer. Because in my mind, that would be sort of like a... Because Catra is kind of a Darth Vader level villain with the things that she's done or even just tried to do. Mm-hmm. And to have, like, she's the kind of character where I like them to go out with a very big symbolic gesture, but they die in the process. Right. Or, like, that she gets permanent, or that she gets hive minded and that it's not until the very end of the show when she gets released. And then the friend, the super best friends are like, okay. Well, shit, now what? <laughs> and then it, leave it sort of open, like, what do we do with Catra now that, like, all of the conflict has been removed? And just leave it as an open-ended question. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like, she doesn't have to die. She doesn't even necessarily have to be harshly punished for what she did. I don't know. Like, the morality of this universe is sort of hard to suss out. Yeah. Do, ca- I, do characters get punished for anything? Like, because even, like, Hordak getting a redemption doesn't quite sit well with me, because, you know, 
Pardex's colonialist little campaign has been going on for, like, what, ten years? At least. Glimmer was a little girl when Micah died, right? She was, yeah. like, yeah, she was very young. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, this has been going on, this this war has been going on so long, Glimmer has grown up in an entire era of war, from being a small child where her father dies in a combat incident, to a 16-year-old who is a general in a, like, global war. This isn't, like, some small thing that can get reversed by a little bit of, you know, I don't know, change of heart. Did Hordak ever really have a change of heart? He turned on Horde Prime. He turned on Horde Prime, which, like, I'm not gonna lie, that was deeply satisfying. But, like, you know, he's not, I, like, would not want to root for him beyond that. It was just really satisfying to watch him shoot him. <laughs> I mean, again, it's like, I feel like I'm remiss, though, with her coming out of that funk and being like, are we just all okay with this? Yeah. I feel like Mermis is the only, like, sane person in the room, like, these are fascist war criminals. We're just fine. With yeah, them going and I'm free. Like I've lost people because of them. And the funny thing is, is like this is like exactly the same problem that Steven Universe had, but it made it more acute because it also added like this thread, this weird thread that like now of romance that kind of like undermines the rest of the point of the show. Like they were undermining their own themes with this ending. It was so mm-hmm. bizarre. It was like it was like somebody wrote the season five without having rewatched seasons two and four. They like watched season one and like read the Wikipedia episode synopsis for the middle seasons. Cause it just doesn't feel like it synthesizes a lot of what they have been building on thematically for the past two seasons, which is unfortunate because that's some of the show's best work. The whole friendship is magic thing is great. I love having that in a show that is not my little pony because I just don't really feel like wading into those waters, even though I'm sure I'd probably enjoy the show. Mm-hmm. I'm just, to me, it's very disappointing because I thought the show that I had bought into was different from what we wound up getting in the end. And it's, it's like, for me, it's like with game of Thrones, the ending is just so not good that I can't even go back and enjoy earlier seasons. Like well, the series is done. Because it does kind of, like, the ending changes a lot of, like, core ways that, that you view the rest of the series. Like, having Bo and Glimmer end up together. Actually, so, quick quick side note. Why is Adora a Glimmer Bow shipper? I'm not, like, saying she couldn't be. It's just funny to me that the first time that the couple appears, it's in Adora's Wish universe, where she is... Adora is paired with Catra, which, like, fine, at that point they had said, this is what we're doing. But then Bo and Glimmer show up as, like, a happy couple, and I was like, what? Because the whole thing with Bo and Glimmer sort of having to navigate jealousy over them dating other people and, like, still being friends, other than, like, because they were so isolated and were only friends with each other that when they branch out, they start to feel a little insecure. Like, I liked that. But then, if they eventually end up together, and there's never any bridging content to establish where the change in emotions happens, it sort of starts to feel like instead that the whole time Glimmer actually just had a crush on Bo, and then that was what all of this was about. 
Which, I mean, I guess, okay, but I don't know. To me, it feels I, like it's just an end tack-on of like, oh, we gotta do something bone glimmer, let's throw that in there to imply. See, that's, that's, I think that's the reason why it bothers me, is that, like, it just doesn't feel like it has weight behind it. It doesn't, like, I'm not even really happy for them, because I'm just like, really? Okay. <laughs> you know, like, you ever have, like, two friends who start dating, and, like, they're very good friends, but they're just not really romantically inclined and like it's very clear but they haven't figured it out yet and you're just like okay yeah this is it's probably terrible to say but it's like you know how you have like that one last het relationship before you're like shit I'm gay <laughs> where you date your best friend well I'm just to me it felt like it was kind of an afterthought that they're like oh wait we got something something well, put put them together, and then that's fine. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. I don't know. And also, like, the th- one of the things that I really liked about Shira was that it was a extremely feminine show where romance was not a humongous factor in the plot. And this is like such a huge novelty. I actually do like really feminine aesthetic. I'm just kind of bored by anything that revolves too much around a heterosexual romance so like something like sailor moon like i love how it looks but just the plot sort of loses me it's hard for me to like stay involved in it but then like shira it's just like all super pretty femme girls and a couple of awesome butch girls but also like you know the story isn't just about like a couple of guys that they're into there's like an actual plot and so to have the show kind of end like harry potter did and it's like and then everybody married somebody who they knew before they were 13 it's very disappointing yeah i'm like i i don't know i'm i'm just also like what would have been wrong with glimmer and adora as a kind of fat lesbian, I resent that the kind of fat lesbian did not get to be with the hot jock lesbian. Like, obviously, this is just me projecting. Like, I'm not going to lie to you and say that I am not a little bit pissed off about this because, like, fuck, I wanted Glimmer to be with Adora. Because, like, because I'm kind of fat and I like seeing fat girls happy, so sue me. And, like, just to see her with Bo kind of feels like, I don't know, they feel like each other's consolation praises. They both deserve so much better. They both could have had more interesting romances with somebody else. Again, it goes back to feeling like it was just kind of tacked on. And there were so many other interesting directions they could have gone with, like, your last-minute funny romances. Like, the one that I do support is Seahawk and Burmista, because I think that they bounce off each other so well. And me, as, you know, a patented dumbass Seahawk type, just do kind of like this (laughs) dynamic. I also love that Seahawk was, like, ready to propose because Marissa set a boat on fire. Yeah, I do like the, oh, you're amazing. Yeah. Something or, like, amazing. how about Perfuma and Scorpia? Yeah, that was another, like, when they are, and this is one thing I did like, one of the things I liked, um, when they are fighting each other and Perfuma is just like, no, you can't. You can't hurt our friends. And Adora's like, oh, Wait. she gets to throw the tank at us? And she's like, no, it's okay. She missed. She's still in there. It was funny when she was talking to her like a dog. Adora! Adora, put it down. We do not throw tanks at our friends. And Adora's just, like, so put out that Scorpia gets to throw a tank and she doesn't. That part I thought was really funny. 
I mean, there's actually, that's the, kind of the sad part. There actually is a lot to like about the fifth season of She-Ra. There's a lot to like about She-Ra. But, like, to make it sort of personal at this point, that for me, I can't really watch it anymore because Catra reminds me very specifically of my abusive ex. And one of the, re- the, the most salient reasons why is that every time she would sort of try to redeem herself, she would be immediately accepted back into the friend group, no questions asked. And all of the shit that she did to me that everybody knew about suddenly didn't matter because why are you bringing this up? You're breaking the peace. And so to have, like, characters who I love and respect, like Glimmer and Bo... Helping Adora rationalize Catra's abuse to other characters, that was, like, weirdly triggering in a way that I wasn't expecting it to be. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even Catra herself that is triggering so much as, as it feels like it's a betrayal on behalf of the people around Adora to keep her safe. And that's the part that was actually traumatizing. I mean, the abuse was traumatizing, but in my experience, that latter part was the much more traumatizing part. And that was what had the much more lasting effects. And so, ultimately, I'm not trying to be a won't-someone-think-of-the-children person, at least not in general, but in this case, when you consider the target age group for the show, one does have to sort of, like, ask a question of, like, should this be presented without commentary? Like, if I were to show this to a 10-year-old girl, which I could be talked into it, there would have to be, like, a conversation about Catra in order to make sure that a bad message would not be communicated here. Because the show itself does a very bad job of communicating a lot of the sort of sense of justice that it started to establish early on. Mm-hmm. Especially in a narrative that is so colonialist as Shira and what the Horde did. Like, it... Like, it's just... I don't know. It just feels very short-sighted. It feels like... It doesn't feel workshopped. It doesn't feel like more than one kind of person had eyes on this. And that's disappointing, because She-Ra has not always felt like that. This season actually stands out a lot to me, where it's like something isn't quite right. It feels... Like, I hate to say this, but it feels like fan fiction of She-Ra, not She-Ra, but I think it's more just that... My guess is that the show actually was written with the few more arcs in mind, and they were gonna, you know, redeem Catra, like, give a little bit more of a running start on this, but then Netflix told them, alright, you're done, you only got 13 more, and they went, fuck. So, like, alright, now we have to finish it. So, sort of like a How I Met Your Mother situation, where they had sort of, like, your frame of the arcs, like, the overall story was, you know probably not storyboarded down to the minute, but, like, they knew where they were going with it, but didn't know how much time they were going to have to get there, and always had to write sort of with the thought in mind of, you may get a notice next season that says this is your last season. Right. But, you know, still, even if that is the case, and even if there's, like, a billion great reasons why this is what happened, it's still not a great piece of writing, and it's disappointing. I am just disappointed. Like, nobody forgave How I Met Your Mother. I mean, and the, the context behind How I Met Your Mother was they were not anticipating to run as long as they did. So no, they not at all. They were going to get a few seasons, and they were going to have uh, Ted and Robin. That was going to be their end game. And then the show took off, and instead of adapting to once they realized, you know what, we've written these two characters in a way that they don't make sense for each other anymore, they stuck with their original game plan, and everything was terrible. <laughs> 
Well, and I don't know, like, it's no secret that, that Noelle Stevenson really loves Katra, and it's no secret that she sees it as a self-insert, her as a self-insert character, and, like, you know what, fine. Like, I think she's just not, obviously she is just not thinking of it on the same axis that I am. And you know what, if somebody has not had these life experiences, then fine, you would not think of media on this axis. I run and into this problem. I'm not implying that she's a fascist or that she's an abuser. Let's no, get that no, no, Noelle Stevenson. Noelle Stevenson is not a problematic abuser because she wrote a story in which she used a bunch of very famous, very classic yet problematic lesbian tropes. When you look at when you look at Catradora, you just see like this amazing wonderful soup of all of like like 10 years of lesbian couplings on television like it's great and you can I, it's terrible so but great but like your it, mother phenomenon what you started out to begin with a decade ago that you loved by the time you get to the ending point is kind of problematic but you stick with it yes but also like you also have to consider that we haven't had these moments on television long enough for us to necessarily have had time to distill all of them i guess i i could give some people a little bit of a pass for not necessarily being completely like always 100 percent informed in all of the possible ways that the story you have written has been problematic like obviously you need to have sensitivity readers and you need to have a department in your animation studio that does nothing but check these things for you but on the other hand, like, you can't expect every showrunner to know these things on their own. And, of course, problematic stuff is always going to slip through because not everybody has the same experiences. Everybody because you know, blind sides. Yes. And, obviously, a lot of people very much enjoy this ship. It's all over my freaking dashboard and all over my timeline, even though I have muted the shit out of it. Just, you know, like, that's just what happens when something is popular. And you know what? I'm not holding it against people for posting it and for liking it. I just, you know, I it's... I think it's abusive, and therefore it's not for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that we shouldn't be discouraged from discussing these aspects of things. With we should be able to have these discussions without it necessarily turning into like um, uh, I saw Goody Proctor with the devil situation. Like this doesn't need to be a call out. It's just like a discussion about considering problematic elements in queer storytelling and how we continue to perpetuate them because we don't necessarily evaluate things on this angle because we are not used to getting our way and once we do we just don't want to back down like it could even just be a case that they said yes and everyone was so surprised by the yes that they just didn't think about anything else that's yeah i mean that's honestly plausible to me like they were so shocked that they said yes they're like fuck 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 we got to finish this like immediately right away wrap it up really nice in a little bow before they change their minds yeah we're not saying no stevenson's a bad person we're just saying yeah. that some of the content in shira if you have certain life experiences does not reflect very well and some people it's triggering. have blind spots. Yes, some people have you can just say, spots to that. And we're just trying you, to say we need to be more cognizant with our media now. You don't need to mince words on it. It's triggering. Just that's all you have to say. Because okay. that in itself that in itself should not be a negative connotation. We need to sort of... I, I really hope that we can reclaim this word because it is so useful if you pull the emotion out of it, ironically. Because if you can talk about it as saying there is triggering content in Shira, that is an objective fact because I have been triggered by it. That is not necessarily a value judgment 
on whether Shira is good as a piece of art or a piece of animation or a piece of media or what, whatever metric you are evaluating it on. Mm-hmm. And we should talk more about this because talking about this will lead to, I hope, more awareness of it and then the writing will improve. Right. Because I hope that Stevenson goes on to do another show with Netflix and I hope that she gets another canon queer couple and I hope that the next one is better than this one something that I don't find is triggering because I have thus far liked you know I've really liked Shira and I'd like something like it but you know not that one particular part exactly and the other thing is is that it's not like there's nowhere else to go in terms of like well really any axes there's plenty of other animated shows on Netflix right now that are excellent. Kipo and the Wonder Beasts, I just watched a couple of weeks ago. It might be my favorite Netflix animated show. It's excellent. And Hilda is also really, really, really good. Just ignore the fact that Grimes did the theme song, and it's good. Okay. <laughs> so, like, there's, there's, like, other places you can go to get sort of, like, oh, here's a whimsical, great animated TV show about a but with a female protagonist. So, like, Kipo... Actually, Kipo as Karen Fukuhara is the voice of the, the lead. So, Glimmer. Oh. Yeah. And her dad is played by Sterling K. Brown. There's a lot of famous people in Kipo. It's cool. Um, and there's a gay boy. Benson is gay. Um, nice. And then, of course, like, for your queer ships, you know, you have Batwoman and Supergirl and half the shows on the CW and Mother land Fort Salem this thing that I keep seeing on my yeah, timeline we're gonna have to wait for Diana to come on and talk to, to, about that because <clears throat> I got all anyway, picked up on it by, from gifts and then I watched some of it and now I'm just side-eyeing everything <laughs> anyway my point is is that I like I like being critical of things in this way I feel like we can only benefit from it, from people talking about this sort of thing, because if people don't talk about this sort of thing, I'm just going to have to keep putting up with being constantly triggered by all of the content around me. Because, like, I'm not going to lie, it does kind of suck that I have this very narrow window of things that I can watch without literally reading a plot synopsis ahead of time, and that window is rapidly narrowing because now frickin' She-Ra stabbed me in the back. I know it's vivid, but, like, it does feel a little bit like you know a betrayal a betrayal yeah i don't know it like it makes me feel like i've taken a step backwards in my progress and that frustrates me mm-hmm. be mindful about what you're consuming and what your narratives are i mean i think that's what we're kind of getting at here overall i think also be mindful of the kind of criticisms that you listen to like cuz that's the other thing is that Shiro is going to get a ton of bad faith criticism, like it already does, and it will get even more at the end of the season from people who don't actually give a shit about the content of the show. And I am hoping that we live in a world where that is not going to scare off people from talking about more valid criticisms. We don't need to instinctively defend something as a community in its entirety if it is problematic just because bad actors say incorrect things about it like we are allowed to critique our own content on our own time and in our own spaces we don't need to be unnecessarily defensive of something in order to protect it like Shira is a big girl Shira can protect herself right well thank you guys for uh, tuning in this far 
I know uh, maybe Kill Your Darlings hurts a little bit, but if you stayed this far, uh, we hope you enjoyed or at least, you know, could appreciate our um, point of view on what we talked about. A um, ra- well, a rambling rant that actually came across a lot less angry than I thought it would a couple yeah, of days ago. Yeah, we were kind of big wheel cheesed this weekend, so <laughs> we had a little bit of time to calm down. I'm glad we didn't record this on Monday, because that would have been a much, uh, much more... Um, emotional episode yeah but i think that that's also a good thing and like sort of you know going forward on how we want to operate the show that i'd rather have measured responses than Mm -hmm. like be rushing to get content out because i feel like you have a more productive conversation and more interesting one if you aren't just reacting to everything in real time you know says the person who used to recap episodes of supergirl this is why i don't recap episodes anymore by the way because i like to digest things Anyways, thank you guys for listening as far as you have. Um, We do have other podcasts on our Fundamentals Network as well. Um, That's Haram. That's what I do with uh, Sahar. Um, We have the Fundamentalists, Unabashed Book Snobbery, Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics. And we also have our live RPG play, um, Fae Forge Academy, as part of our network as well. And they're every Friday. Don't forget, we are doing Double Ladies First episodes uh, twice a month all throughout the summer. So we still have plenty of content coming up. And also, you know, drop us a line. Let us know what you thought about She-Ra and Katra and all that. I'm sure some of y'all have big thoughts about it, too. (laughs) Unless you want to fight. We don't want to fight. Yeah, we don't want to fight anybody. That's not what we're here for. I don't even have social media, y'all. And I'm sure Elizabeth's just going to be noping out of it on Twitter if you come at her. So we're not here for that. But if you do have some thoughts and you want to communicate them to us in a way that's not inflammatory, if it starts off with you dumb, you know what, then, you know, we're just going to spam that comment. But we do want to hear from you if you have some thoughts that is, you know. Productive. Yeah, productive. (laughs) So that's all for us this time. Thank you for tuning in. We will be back next month. Adios.